welcome to the Cinematologist podcast. I'm Neil Fox, and joining me as ever is Dario Linares. Hello, Dario. Hey, Neil. How's it going? Are you well? I am really well, yes. I've just come in from two hours of blowing bubbles in the garden and watching a three-year-old chase the bubbles to pop them. Nice. And uh, performing an impromptu gig for an unimpressed dog where <laughs> I was on maracas and Tessa was on harmonica. So Wow. Yeah. And so a new concept band is born. It is, yeah. And it was a very similar response to when I was actually in a band in my teens. Um, a lone dog wandering off thinking, what is this nonsense? Um, well, we are nothing but for, for the wide audience. Exactly. On this podcast. <laughs> exactly. If you want niche, experimental, multi-generational racket, then I've got you covered. Uh, what about you? <laughs> awesome. I'm okay. I'm uh, just enjoying my uh, afternoon gin and tonic. A bit of sound effects there for you. Very nice. Um, and yeah, it's really warm here, so I've been out in the garden. I've been doing a lot of writing to them, and I just sort of had a couple of work emails, and then had a little bit of a half an hour outside. Um, and then I've just been listening to you as well um, in your interview with Jerry Padfield on our other podcast, New Oral Cultures. And I have to say, it's kind of listening to it really kicked me up the arse in terms of our podcast funding bid. I, I'm, I'm committing it now to sort of... To tape. The, to, to tape, you know, digital tape, whatever you <laughs> want to call it. Um, that once, my, once I get these two pieces in, which is going to be at the end of the month, then next month we're going to get that finished and get that off because... I think the way that you talked about it there, actually, you know, in a, in a different world where we weren't always reliant on the text to define any, everything, then I would just send them that podcast and say, this is what we want to do, because I think it was, a, a, you know, a really good exploration. I think actually we should link to it when we send off the bid and say, look, you know, if you've got time, you don't just want to read all this, just listen to that, because it was really, really good and sort of, again, got my juices flowing in terms of what we could do in terms of sort of this, you know, podcast studies research, because it's definitely there and, you know, as ever, time and circumstances get in the way of these things. But yeah, it was a, a really great listen, I thought, the conversation between you and, and Jerry. We'll link to that on the show notes. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, appreciate that. And yeah, it's weird. It's one of those things that, yeah, it kind of drifts in and out because, like you say, it's so busy, but just sitting down and talking with him kind of did remind me as well of like, yeah, actually, this is, this is something I really want to kind of get involved with and and our work together has kind of led us here so yeah hopefully hopefully we can continue that that work and uh, yeah nice job and when did you take that how long ago was that that was i think it was this year which feels relative of course <laughs> it is but yeah i think it was at the beginning of this year um at the uni and uh yeah uh, so kind of pre all of this but but certainly recently in terms of our our thinking and probably maybe just after Mexa, you know, where we kind of had that great event uh, with you, me and Martin kind of doing that panel on podcasting, mm. which was another one of those kind of uh, galvanizing uh, experiences in terms of podcast studies. So I think it was around then. I was definitely on a high of of thinking, yeah, this is this is really exciting. Yeah, excellent. So yeah, it's uh, interesting stuff moving forward for us, but um, we've got a very exciting podcast coming up for you. Again, one that you've put a lot of work in to in terms of collecting a range of interviews and focusing on this this particular short film project that's come up yeah so this is our uncertain kingdom episode and the uncertain kingdom is a short film project which has been going i guess a year 18 months maybe maybe yeah just just over a year and uh, was set up by a group of producers to try and capture in short film form some of the 
the tenor of the country at the moment and uh, just kind of take the temperature of of Britain in a really strange time, even strange, you know, strange pre pre kind of COVID, but but kind of post. Yeah, I mean, it's sorry, um, it's important to stress that isn't this? These aren't COVID films, but it's interesting how many of them sort of almost retrospectively allude to that a little bit. Yeah, no, I think we'll definitely talk about that at the end. And that was something that, although we never really talked about it in the interviews, it was was definitely in the in the air. And I think that the situation that's kind of exacerbated by by COVID has been, you know, in the air in this country for a while. And I think that what was interesting about this project was that it was a group, you know, sort of group of producers asking for a range of responses that kind of examined that in a variety of different ways. So it's a collection of short narrative documentary and experimental work from all different corners uh, of the kind of the filmmaking spectrum and they the films were due for release in uh, April but obviously that got put back and now they're going to be online from the 1st of June which is which is really exciting and yeah sort of just literally as the lockdown started and things were kind of changing I I spoke to several filmmakers uh, behind the project and one of the producers John Jenks about it all and yeah, it's. I watch a lot of short films anyway, and was really excited to to kind of to do an episode like this because we haven't really covered it uh, in terms of short film form. Um, we've talked about short films in a variety of different ways, and even recently with sort of Mark Cousins and uh, Girish Shambu and So May, I kind of brought up this this kind of placement of the short form in kind of context of of, of film careers as as something which should be valued uh, more highly because of. Often it's the only form that people get to make in. And one of the, and again, interesting thing about this project is that it's a rare example of, you know, a kind of really kind of vibrant and diverse funding stream coming along line for short film. And a lot of the filmmakers are in similar sort of stages of their career who've kind of uh, taken to making them. And should be mentioned as well, it's a mix of commissions by the producers and then it was an open call where some of the filmmakers were asked, you know, filmmakers were asked to submit ideas that were then developed and uh, and produced. Yeah, and uh, a really interesting range of work, I think, is there. And in the conversations that you have, one of the things that struck me was this sort of sense of what the short film is and how one of the problems, it kind of, it represents some of the problems fundamentally with the film industry in, in the UK, i.e. things like the idea of what does a British film culture look like and and how does it get supported but then also you know related to that is where you know what is a distribution platform for short films and basically there isn't one it's kind of you've got to be into short films or in the club or understanding who to follow on Vimeo or or you know there's there's a kind of a set of parameters around engaging with short films that is quite exclusory I think and and again one of the problems with the way that British film structure is set up and probably even, you know, I mean, I, I can't speak for other countries, but the the hierarchy between the feature and the short is just so immensely lopsided. It's very difficult for short films to be seen and other than other than kind of a promo for a, for a, a filmmaker who wants to get into features, which is, is, is a little bit sad. And one of the things that I talk to the students about a lot, especially early on, is that, you know, you've got $250 million blockbusters here and then you've got zero budget shorts here. And like, you shouldn't really be taking your cues from this, 
this thing that is so far away. I mean, not saying don't be inspired by it, but do you know what I mean? It's mm. like, it's not what you're going to be making. So trying to get students to watch short films is always a, a kind of battle a little bit, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And and try, yeah, like you say, trying to get them to kind of conceptualise what they're doing in relation to the, to the short film rather than even a, even a feature film, you know. I think I, I, when I'm teaching screenwriting for shorts, I'm, I'm trying to show a lot of short films because I think so often one of the problems is the the teaching of short film or the short film screenwriting is based around three act structure for features, which just doesn't work. You know that in for me a short film is its own thing that kind of has some of the codes and conventions sometimes of features in terms of structure or but but is kind of doing its own thing and there are different expectations and it's exciting to teach that and see students kind of kind of get on board with that that way of doing things rather than trying to always cram this kind of overarching big journey narrative into 10 minutes which always kind of does it a disservice um and i've always enjoyed making shorts and you know hope to still do and one of our one of our you know friends mark jenkins still makes shorts and it makes makes great short films and for me there's always been an attraction in kind of working in that mode that was separate from features rather than just let's make as let's make a few shorts that show that we can make a feature which is a part of it but but shouldn't be the only thing and it's it, it was exciting that this project came along and was specifically for shorts because when collected there's a really interesting body of work you know which is greater i think than the sum of the individual shorts on their own it's how they kind of speak to each other and how they kind of represent as a as a kind of tapestry of of work the what the project is trying to do and i think one of the uh, really positive things about the uncertain kingdom project is i think that that distribution was in mind so there's places on channel four and on sky and on other areas where you know the thinking behind the project is we're not just going to make them we're going to they're going to there's going to be a place for them to go which is something i think obviously the the project producer sort of talks about in the first interview yeah and that's really really important because like you're saying is like we're the the distribution is such a key aspect in terms of the shorts being taken seriously and the filmmakers getting exposure both as filmmakers of a variety of different content but also eventually kind of feature film uh filmmakers if that's what they want to do or if it's tv or or whatever what's interesting in terms of the the short film sites that are out there is that a lot of them have kind of long been championing these kinds of films you know um and I did want to, I, it sort of comes out in the interviews, I did want to ask the filmmakers if they, you know, what they thought of a project like this. And, and hopefully it means there'll be more kind of projects like this moving forward where, you know, people are, are making short narrative or short documentary, short experimental films like this that are then part of the, the viewing landscape. You know, movie shows a lot of shorts and uh, increasingly, obviously, with, with the situation we're in now, a lot of different platforms are, are, are looking for different types of content. So... Hopefully, um, it's a, it's a it's a further kind of boost to the distribution of this kind of shorts. But I did want to sort of mention the reason I sort of mentioned that is because obviously we know people who run great short sites like Marbell, who runs Director's Notes, um, friend of ours um, also works at Director's Notes, Rob Monday, who runs who's involved with Short of the Week, and James Matry runs Twelve Cabins, which is a kind of short film horror site. And there are many many more, but those are obviously the ones that we know. And I think it's it's exciting that that short film still kind of is a place where innovative inventive things can happen rather than just a calling card for features and a lot of this stuff is is kind of emblematic of that as well as obviously containing ideas that you could see being explored at kind of greater length in different different ways 
so Neil, also you put down on on our running order the the, the fact that you actually applied to to this. Um, so do you want to say something about that? I mean, it's it must have been obviously you know you're taking it magnanimously. Whenever you apply for something, you apply with the not with the expectation it's gonna it's gonna happen. But was did that give you a certain sort of context for coming into the interviews and watching the films? Yeah, I wanted to see if they were all terrible and feel really. You know, uh, put out. <laughs> yeah. um, Charlotte no, Friday you know, is so sweet. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, and then was really annoyed when they were good. Um, but no, uh, in all seriousness, uh, yeah, no, it, 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 I was interested in seeing the films and the fact that, you know, I got to see the films even before the filmmakers, and that was interesting. Kind of when I spoke to the filmmakers and said I'd seen all of them, you know, none of them had; they'd only see, seen theirs. So, sort of saw it before everyone else, and just kind of seeing the project because, and I'd followed it since it was launched and had kind of applied and was just curious to see what they'd what they'd made you know and yeah you're right there is no there was no kind of bitterness in terms of oh why didn't they accept mine you know maybe it wasn't very good um but I was I was hopefully erring on the side that they had a vision for the project and you know how everything fits together um like any kind of edited collection really does does it fit together as a as a kind of whole piece was what I was interested in and I didn't bring it up in the interviews because I thought you know I don't wasn't about me in that sense um but uh yeah i thought you know um now revealing if they're listening that i did i was a i did apply and uh it was a nice process you know i think it was it was an open kind of it was a good brief and it was you know i didn't i had i had a kind of project that i'd been working on and just sort of thinking about and it was one of those great opportunities which a lot of the filmmakers talked about was a chance to hone an idea into a pitch and into a package you know so even if it didn't get made this time it's now something that it wasn't before and that's always I think a really valuable part of any submission process which is you know working towards making something better or making something more tangible and and kind of concrete so it was really valuable in that sense and yeah it's uh you know <laughs> I'd like to think that I'm not the sort of person who wouldn't support something just because I didn't get a chance to do it um and uh, yeah, it, it it was it was really it was really good to to talk to the the filmmakers who did get selected and sort of hear their rationale and realise that the spirit seemed to be the same across the board. You know, a kind of willingness to engage with the brief, which was how are we feeling right now about what's going on in Britain and um, how can we kind of turn that into interesting short film work. Yeah, no, I think that, that that definitely happens through the list of films, particularly the, you know, the, I watched all of the ones that you have the interview for, but um, there's more than that. So I'm going to I'm going to have a look through all of them. But yeah, the, it, it's an interesting one because, you know, understanding or or it's an interesting one because the the reaction to the brief of what is kind of Britishness, you know, and, and it's always it, it seems obviously in the last however many years the 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 notion of diversity is ingrained into that idea of Britishness from kind of projects that are looking to, you know, ask that question in these particular kinds of ways. And you might sort of, you know, I know that there will be a critique of, oh, why is, why is, why is it always diversity, you know? But I think that there's still so much work to do in that area. Do you know what I mean? And, and not, you know, in, not just in the sort of narrow sense of that, but, that idea of inclusiveness even you know what i mean that that mixes up with diversity i think is really important and i think that there is that there are films here that are, are, are sort of crit, you know overtly critical but also kind of quite in a good way really sort of abstract about what that what the idea of britishness is because i think if there's anything that the last sort of 
the last three years particularly has taught us and has been amplified over the last sort of six months is that we're a country, I think, that's struggling with the idea of what Britishness is. And it seems to me that, you know, again, as a sort of liberal lefty, I might say this, that we, we seem to be spending an awful lot of time looking back instead of looking forward. And that's one of the problems of, of what's going on right now a lot of the time. A great set of films and a great set of interviews. So who, who did you speak to? So I spoke to, I should, uh, first off, uh, a couple of apologies to Iggy, who directed Sucker Punch, and uh, Sophie, who dire- Sophie King, who directed Swan, uh, two of the films in the collection. And I did speak to both of them, but coming to edit and there's corruption on the tapes, uh, on the recording, sorry, not the tapes, obsessed with tapes, but um, on the recording. So they, they're not included in this bunch because uh, despite trying to work around, couldn't, couldn't salvage the recording. So apologies to them, but we will talk a little bit about their films at the end. So in this uh, section, there are interviews with John Jenks, one of the producers of the Uncertain Kingdom project. Then conversations with Stroma Cairns, who is a documentary filmmaker who made the film Sauna and uh, is a graduate of Falmouth University. Um, and we both taught her. Uh, Jason Wingard, a uh, narrative director of the film Pavement. Alison Hargreaves, who directed the documentary Camelot. And Antonia Campbell-Hughes, who directed the... Uh, it was classed in the experimental, but it definitely feels like an experimental narrative uh, sci-fi uh, film, Acre Fall Between. So... This is uh, this is my conversation with them, and thanks to all of them for giving up their time to talk about this project. Beauty was not some central metric of how I define my self-worth. I may not look like the English, but I'm certainly English and British. The biggest hurdle as a teenager, and then as a grown-up, is deciding that I'm the protagonist of my own story. Hey, hey, wake up! John Jenks, one of the producers of The Uncertain Kingdom. Thanks for chatting to me today. No worries. I watched all the films. Goodness. Um, well done. Yeah, pre, pre-self-isolation as well, so I don't know what I'm going to do now. Um, would have been handy, I think. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, really enjoyed it. I think it's a really impressive slate of films, um, particularly considering you know when, when projects like this come together, or even festivals, there's usually a really variable kind of mm. range of quality, but I think that the hit rate is is really impressive, and I think that the the diversity aim of the project seems to have been hit as well as you can. I think in a given the you know the who can make films and who's telling what type of stories at any given time. I mean, I think um, one uh, way we managed to do that is that we deliberately went out and 
invited five film, sorry, invited ten filmmakers, and then did an open call for ten. Um, and even with those ten that we were we invited, um, there were people that had to drop out or um, were very honest about. Um, whether they could fully commit to it. So some of them sort of dropped out because they were like, we really love this project, um, but I don't think I've got enough time to really do something that's really good. Yeah. Um, so there was a certain amount of sort of self-deselection um, and that meant that we could keep the, the quality really high. Um, and then with the invited filmmakers, they were all really interested in working very closely with us and we really helped develop their projects um, and then sort of let them get on with it, um, which was which was really nice. But yeah, I, 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 I thought we, I'm really surprised we had such a high hit rate as well. I thought there would be sort of maybe two or three that were good and I think we've got 15 that are good and probably another that are really world class yeah i would say yeah i'd say that's a pretty good estimation you're you're as kind of executive producers your background is in kind of production and development and what was really interesting to hear from the people i've spoken to was how they felt really well supported in terms of the projects but not interfered with which i think is you you don't hear that very often you know um it, you know, so I know it's, you hear the opposite quite often. I mean, how many stories are there of filmmakers um, feeling quite uh, bereft of support and also hands off? Yeah. Now, you know, the film industry is is full of overly of stories of overly involved execs. But we always knew that that twenty there were only three of us working on this project, and we always knew that twenty projects was too many. Yeah. Um, for us all to really get involved in. So um, it was slightly by design um, that we could, we ch I, I made sure we had so many so that we could be really involved, but, but not too involved because otherwise we, you know, you would mess it up. Yeah. Do you think, does it help when they're kind of short films as well? Because there's almost a, an inbuilt freedom to, to short films to to kind of be more experimental or more, yeah, kind of loose in terms of the traditional structures that are associated with narrative, uh, sort of feature-length stuff? Um, I think you have to be very selecting in, you know, even more than uh, full-length features, short films have to, to some degree, be concept-driven um, and will live and die by their concept. So... Once you've got someone who's really, and I think most of our work was concerning actually getting people to focus down their vision and statement of what the film was. Um, so if you, because a, a woolly short film, you know, just because we're so focused on theme, that really... Um, yeah, focus people's ideas and energy, and I think that's that's you know always very helpful. Um, in terms of the the experimental nature of the films, I'm not. To me, it's the films were so strongly of the individual filmmakers and the style of films that they make 
that they probably weren't much of an, even if they feel experimental in the results and in the watching of them, they weren't much of, they weren't hugely offbeat and experimental for the individual filmmakers. They, you know, these are all people who make these kind of films very passionately and very strongly. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not sure how much on an individual basis there was that sort of, oh, I'm going to do something a bit crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even if it does feel like that as, as a member of the audience. Yeah. You sort of mentioned there about kind of conversations about what the film is about, theme or, you know, the kind of the, the thesis of them. But what's interesting about the work is that a lot of that stuff is not explicit in a lot of the films. You know, it's not they're not didactic, they're not preachy. So is that a kind of conversation that you're having with the filmmakers so that it doesn't have to necessarily be as pronounced in the work? I think you can be strongly and richly thematic without being didactic. Um, and, you know, I think you can offer up a dramatic conflict and a difficulty without um, turning into someone who necessarily says that there are these two opposing things and option A is definitely the right one and option B is definitely the wrong one. I, I think our filmmakers, you know, there was a lot of being like, we've got option A and B that are fighting each other and this is a bit of a mess <laughs> and we don't know what to, you know. Yeah. Um, so I, I think... Um, and I think maybe because of the choice of the title um, being The Uncertain Kingdom, people weren't going into this thinking, oh, I've got to come up with a way of making things certain or, you know, pushing this agenda very um, strongly. Yeah. Um, I don't think there was a deliberate um, push uh, for what you're suggesting, um, I think it, 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 that occurred um, through a process of um, just the process of making them. I mean, we did in in choosing the films, which was the font sort of process of that. But um, we 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 did one stage. You know, we had sort of a short list of forty. And we kept sticking them up on the wall, um, Georgia, Izzy and I, and and doing these sort of mind maps of how they all sat with each other. And there was definitely an idea of, you know, how do these ones, the films individually speak to each other um, so that the whole selection maybe made a statement rather than picking individual films that didactically made a statement yeah no i think that definitely comes through yeah um yeah i think that there's a real benefit to the project from having having that that sense that these films are complicated films about a complicated time you know i think that's um and i think it's really it's really striking as a body of work how how similar they all are in terms of how they're addressing just the day-to-day -day existence of kind of of Britain and Britishness. I think it's a real achievement um, of uh, of production as much as anything else. Um, and you sort of alluded to there to having a lot of entries. You know, I remember sort of following the project online, and it did seem like you were kind of overwhelmed, almost not expecting there to be as many filmmakers who wanted to 
engage with this idea that you set out? Yeah, no, we, I mean, it was, um, I, you know, the, the idea, I had the idea for the project sitting in the bath in November, <laughs> uh, spoke to a couple of friends about it. They said, oh, yeah, all right, I'll, I think of doing one of those. Spoke to, then spoke to Georgia and Izzy, who came on board as my co-execs. And then, you know, and we, we picked our 10 filmmakers and we just thought, okay, we're going to announce on Twitter that it's going to come out. And, um, yeah, we, we said we were going to be open for two weeks to accept um, applications. I think at the, on the Friday at the, at the end of the two weeks, we had 600 applications. And by the midnight on the Sunday, we had 1,147. So... Um, at that point, we thought, "Oh goodness, what have we done? <laughs> or we've done the right thing as well." You know, yeah, but it was much more successful than we thought. And it's interesting because I think that there's there's always the the commentary that you know, where's the next Ken Loach? Where's the next person who's going to be kind of making films about kind of the contemporary society? But it seems like this project shows there's a real hunger to do that, and maybe that that you know there is. There is a there is a greater desire to tell work that is kind of socially resonant than we might be led to believe. I think that's really exciting. I think it is. I mean, my um, concern is always, you know, I, and I've you know grown up in my filmmaking career through the process of making short films and going to short film um, festivals and all that kind of thing, and I've. Um, there always has been a lot of social commentary within the short film world, but it doesn't seem to break out. And I wonder if that is because, um, partially because we have so much sort of social commentary in the TV world, in, in, um, in British culture, and also partially because there isn't, while we have all the tax credits and everything in terms of production, there isn't good support of helping release British films into cinemas. And therefore it doesn't, you know, there isn't a reflective British cinema culture quite as much. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not, I, yeah, I, I think there's a distribution issue there as well as a, a tell people back. Yeah. And I think what, which is again kind of exciting that a project like yours kind of attracts the attention of cinemas and kind of creates mm. this package that cinemas are interested in putting on, uh, as well as there being obviously an online component, which is the natural home for short films nowadays. Mm. I think so. It was, um, I mean, I said to cinemas, look, you can, you know, just schedule, uh, you only have to take one. Uh, Uncertain Kingdom, but there are two programs, so you can show them alternating nights, and therefore, you know, there people might come two nights in a row to come and see the other program. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I try to make quite a strong business case for, for it. Um, but yeah, and I think you know, having that mix of filmmakers also helps cinemas get excited. Um, and you know, they're always looking to do things that are 
maybe a little bit different um mm. but seem to have captured the imagination so yeah yeah the um i think as well one of the things that i really loved about it was just how you really kind of honored a range of voices as per the brief mm. in terms of gender representation and from different parts of the the uh, the united kingdom and and different kind of ethnic backgrounds and things like that so i think it's it shows that there is there is scope in models like this to to really kind of address some of the things that people talk about addressing a lot of the time. Mm. I mean, it's difficult that, um, you know, I, I just, I, we do have a good variety of representation of, of people. Um, but then I always um, fear, feel the ones we missed, yeah. you know, I, you know, I, I feel very sad that, um, we don't have um, a uh, sort of in, um, Indian filmmakers, uh, British Indian. Um, we've got one British uh, from a British Muslim um, heritage, but you know, we there are. I can still see loads of voices that are missing, yeah. um, and you know, I, I think that's that's sad and um and also we worked very hard our real focus in getting this diversity of people was actually having a diversity of stories yeah. you know and that was our focus rather you know it, I, I think the, the project would have been less successful had we pushed for diversity of identities but allowed you know we, we and had lots of films that were more similar. Yeah. Um, the, the focus was on making different kinds of films. Um, it's odd. We, we, we had a look at some of the data um, in the, um, in the submissions and um, we discovered that there were a huge number of films that um, where the main protagonist was an immigrant um, with supernatural powers. Mm, interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, literally hundreds of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we, we just, we, you know, we spent a lot of time working out what that, you know, why are we getting all of these? And, you know, they were positive. They weren't, anyway, it was sort of the, these othered immigrants who were then further othered by being sort of supernatural in some way. Um, then, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, just to sort of to wrap up, obviously, I I can't imagine the the scale of the work um, involved in kind of pulling something like this together. Um, but also, you know, do you think that it's the the kind of approach that you might return to in the future? Because it feels like such a such a good, not just a good thing in terms of the the types of films, but just in terms of a model of bringing so many different voices together and getting that collective voice out into the world um, I mean we've as a not-for-profit enterprise um, and um, it's required a lot of money to do it yeah. um, so uh, that would be the challenge to do this again immediately um, saying that we're actually Georgia Izzy and I um, are at this very moment trying to put something together um, 
for people to be able to um, do the sort of short programming while everyone's on self-isolation, but we haven't quite worked out how to do it yet. But yeah. Um, yeah. We, 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 you're the first person to hear about it. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, we should be announcing something, hopefully at the beginning of next week, that is, is writers in self-isolation writing projects that can be shot in self-isolation. Wow, um, that, that we can do things with. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think I think that's another testament to to you guys kind of uh, being in tune with what's going on in the country and kind of finding creative responses to it. So, uh, uh, look forward to hearing more about that. But for now, yeah, thank you for your time and, and thank you so much okay. for this project. It's, it's it's been a real pleasure to spend time watching the films and following it all unfold. Really enjoyed speaking to you. inspiration for sauna came from me just going to this gym in Lewisham and meeting all of these people it really inspired me that they all were so open with each other even though they might have just met and I think this film is really relevant for the UK now because I think it's so important that we have community and that we have spaces where we can talk and listen no matter what faith you are or what your political views are Stroma Cairns, director of the documentary Sauna. It, it's it's so brilliant, like, and I was so surprised to get on it to be honest, because I, I just it was one of those things where a lot of um, people email it round, you know, when there's particular funding going round, um, you know, like, are you applying to this? You should apply to this. And I just thought so many people were probably applying that it was, yeah, such a nice surprise to get it. Um, what made you want to apply? Um, so, I mean, in the first place, it was just, you know, I'm always looking for funding to make another short because there isn't that much of it around. So seeing that that would come up was sort of the first thing. But then realising that, you know, John Jenks and these great producers are uh, a part of it. And I guess, like, it's an opportunity to your name to sort of be part of a collective and be part of something which isn't always about new up-and-coming directors. It's also got, like, a real mix of sort of levels of directors um, in their craft. So it was just exciting to be in a mix of that. Yeah. I think that was, like, the main thing. So, yeah, that yeah. so there's kind of... There's other reasons other than just the film itself to, to be involved. Yeah, definitely. It was just being part of a collective and knowing that it would be like distributed in a way that maybe you wouldn't be able to do with your own film, like to get it out there and get it known about. You know, when it was like in Screen Daily, they did a whole piece on it and it's just been talked about quite a lot. So it's just been a really amazing thing for a new filmmaker doing shorts yeah. to be a part of. Was the project that you made something that you had in mind already like you sort of said there kind of was looking for different streams was it a project that you were looking for a fund for or was it something that came out of this course in itself um no so i wasn't planning to make this already um i saw the brief and actually initially panicked a bit 
um, which can sometimes happen where you're like, oh, I've got to fit this brief. And I started sort of writing something um, for the brief, you know, some ideas that I've had on the back burner. And then none of it really felt right. And at the same time, I was going to this sauna. Um, just I just so happened to be going. I basically would be going after a swim. I'd just go and sit up there because I preferred to do that because I was lazy. <laughs> And um, it was just a really amazing, like, community that I kind of entered. And then I was kind of thinking, oh, it'd be a great film, but then I think I was sort of too nervous to do it because I thought, oh, it's going to be really difficult to get all of these people to just want to be involved, you know, that's part of documentary. Um, and so I just... Yeah, I didn't really want to do it, but then when this came, I just thought, you know what, I've got to do it, and it kind of pushed me to do that idea. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and to be honest, it was like very early stages of the doc, obviously pitching for it, so it was a bit risky, like whether it would actually work. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I was kind of a bit nervous all through the start because it's like now you've got people backing your doc it has to be made which is another thing that I find so great about funding it's like you have a deadline you have to get this made I don't know if it would be different you know I'd probably still be making it now if I hadn't been part of the scheme you know yeah yeah um, it's almost kind of prompted to to have to get it done by this by the circumstances yeah totally it was just like you have to <laughs> do you feel like you know you're sort of saying there about kind of worried about what it's what it's going to be um but do you feel like there's a freedom in shorts that you know kind of allows for that kind of finding the finding it as you go and was that something that you, was part of the um the process here yeah definitely like i actually really didn't know what this was i mean i knew that it was a good comment on our country today because it was around community and i really think that that is an important thing for us to have um, especially now we're realizing that with all corona um but it it definitely it, it kind of went on its whole own journey and i had no idea it was really challenging basically it's probably one of the most challenging things i've ever done because we had no idea how it was going to end up or what conversations were going to be in it um and so yeah i think shorts definitely allow for that um, but documentary more so, it's just like you've got a space or an idea, but you don't know, you know, you can't really plan it. You can't write the script. So that was quite um, stressful. Um, but the producers were really helpful with that because they said, oh, we're interested. Basically, I would go every night and I'd record loads of conversations. And... I just had loads of audio and no visuals. And then I had to piece the audio with the visuals separately. So I just kind of made it look like it joined. Yeah. Um, but they would say, oh, we're interested in this part and this part. You know, these are the kind of topics that we, we find more interesting. So that was really helpful. Yeah. And then it kind of evolved from that, yeah. Do you think that there's there's a responsibility on filmmakers to make that kind of work that you know kind of comments on society community culture particularly now um yeah i think i think you can um i think 
personally, I feel like you shouldn't be like forcing yourself to make something around a particular theme if it's you know if it's like something that a lot of people are doing and there is a lot of shit going on in our country but I think you you can't force it I think you have to make something that actually is really inspiring you and it's coming from an authentic place otherwise I think it can come kind of be a bad project if you're sort of just trying to make something because it's saying something I think whenever you're trying to say something it's just yeah it's just not great Mm. so for me I think that was a bit of a pressure actually like I don't see myself as a political filmmaker I make a lot of work stemmed from personal stories or like things that have happened to me or things that are just really close to my heart and the sauna and this project had to be about something a bit more political and it was difficult to sort of get used to that but then I realised it doesn't like the word political I think even young people get scared of that it doesn't mean that you have to be you know everything it's just it is literally commenting on what you're experiencing and I was experiencing a really special place and that's all I had to do I just had to relay how amazing I felt going there and that in itself you know all the other stuff comes naturally so well, per- yeah. yeah, and I think I think you can trace a lot of those kind of interests in your work back to the work you did at Falmouth in your kind of graduation film, which was very much a, you know, a- about community and like say and family and and kind of identity and things like that. So it's interesting to see. It was interesting to sort of see this film a few years out from having sort of you know been around your your graduation work as a as a lecturer and and see those theme- themes present and being built on again. It's really interesting to see you. Your voice as a filmmaker, which was strong then, kind of just gets stronger and stronger. Thank you. Yeah, I guess it is still about, yeah, connecting almost. Um, yeah, but it's, it's interesting, isn't it, that you can make so many types of topics of films. And I always got a bit worried about that. Like, you know, I still don't really know what kind of filmmaker I am, but as long as you're just following something that's like really true to you and what you really are inspired by then it will just fall into place well yeah i think you've got uh you've got good instincts so uh, yeah and uh <laughs> really enjoyed your yeah really enjoyed your film and uh hope you yeah hope it kind of hope it does what you want it to do i guess in terms of kind of feeling part of a collective and, and hopefully leading to more work yeah no, i hope so as well um yeah and it's sad that we can't have them screened, but, you know, in a way, I think everyone being online now, you know, maybe it's a good thing. You know, people will really take it in in their own time and watch them all. So, yeah. yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for uh, talking to me today. Thank you, Neil. Um, speak to you soon and hope you have a nice time in quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Droma. All right. Bye. Jason Wingard, director of the narrative film Pavement. It's a really powerful piece of work, I think. Um, yeah. And yeah. yeah, I just, I guess we'll just start with kind of what made you want to contribute to the Uncertain Kingdom project. 
Uh, well, I'd, I'd seen the brief and I knew that the idea that we had for it really met the brief really. I mean, I, I think that you'd have to be a... I know that they had a lot of homelessness um, pitches, uh, but I'd had this idea for quite a while and, uh, and I knew that it met their brief and it was something that I wanted to comment on. I've made a, a, a range of different things. So kind of like I, met, I went out to the Calais jungle in 2016 and I made a feature film in the Calais jungle working with refugees who were kind of playing versions of themselves. And um, I knew that I wanted to make some more social impact films, you know what I mean, things that commented on, on, on social situations. And, and this was a film that was... I'd always said that I'm I not going to bother with short films again, but when the opportunity arose to do this, I thought, oh, this is too good to miss, really. And if I can convince them that we can do it on the small budget, because it was a challenge to do it because of the effects that are required on it. Yeah. And it's a weird one, actually, because with the film, I almost feel... I know that I didn't nail the effects, but it, it almost doesn't matter because it's what the film's saying, which is more potent, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think they work as well as they need to, you know what I mean, yeah. in, terms of, in terms of the... Which might sound like a criticism, but it's not meant that way. Yeah, no, no. Um, I mean, that's kind of like, you know, but that's yeah. something that we were aware of. We, can, we, we were aware we're trying to make what is like a 50 to 100 grand short on a, you know, 20 grand. So yeah. we knew that it was going to be a challenge. Yeah. But, so we were confident that we could pull it off. Um, was it, you sort of mentioned it there, was, so it was a project that you had in mind and then sort of when the Uncertain Kingdom came along, you thought this actually works for this, this kind of, this brief. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that kind of anyone who lives in an in, inner in city, and actually, even if you don't live in an in inner city, you'll have seen the rise in homelessness. It's visible and you can't really ignore it and you know that there's social factors that are contributing to that and so i wanted to do something where you represented that in a visual way and obviously cinema works best if you do it visually so uh that's what this short was really really about but it was something that I, you know you have certain images in your mind for a long long time and so the ending image is something that i had in my mind for a, a long time and um, and just to leave that with people, because you know we all go about our daily business, don't we? Kind of, uh, you know, and we walk past, you know, a crisis. And actually, the the way that uh, things are turning out at the moment, I think that kind of like it's perfect time to reflect on all of those things, not just homelessness, but all sorts of social issues. Um, and you hear artists regularly talk about how we're connected and we are together, and we need to deal with those kind of things. And I think it's really important. So. Um, I think it's obvious what the film is trying to say. Uh, you know, they don't think it's going to be lost on anybody. But I like films. That we don't. When when I did the, the film in the Calais Jungle, when I've done this film, I didn't want it to be preachy. You know what mm. I mean? Yeah, that yeah. people can can just self reflect and go, okay, where do I, I stand on this? Yeah. It's quite because my, the only person who questioned on me was my dad. He went, I wasn't sure how I was meant to feel at the end of your film, <laughs> which I thought was quite funny. Yeah. I told him he was meant to go, okay, yeah, that's one more less homeless person to deal with <laughs> in his right-wing views. Yeah. But, you know, um, anyway, it's like, um, this is, it, 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 we, we screen it once to an audience, and it's really interesting, isn't it? When you, you make a film, you pass it over to the audience, and it's how they respond to it. And, and lots of people responded really well to the, the film, you know. Yeah. How important is it, like, when you're kind of going out to make something that doesn't feel preachy to have a, an actor like Steve Evert's kind of in that role because i think that you know yeah. he, he brings something to it which is 
not easily definable as kind of you know telling the audience how to feel. Well, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because you know, it's it's tough telling Steve. You know, when we was first doing it, I was like talking to him, and he got it right away. I mean, he got it. I showed him an image that um, of you know as, as like a still. We had an idea and of, of how this was going to look, and we made sent sent him this still image. And he got it right away. He said, yeah, I love this. Uh, it's something I really want to be involved in. And ironically, actually, when we were out shooting, um, one of the security guards was, you know, when they were doing that scene, he was trying to move him on. Someone from the university came out, didn't ignored all the film crew and thought this was real and confronted the security guard. And Steve absolutely loved this because people generally don't do anything, do they, when they see kind of um, social mistrust, you know, some yeah. social mistrust-justice. And so, yeah, he, he's a person, he's really grounded. What you see is what you get. He's a, a working-class Mancunian, and, uh, he, you know, he uh, really, really was behind this project. And I think he's perfectly perfect for this role, because he's come totally believable in that role as well. And it's, it's a strange thing, because when we were shooting it, we were wondering how much this character needed to say, but the less he said, the more sympathetic he was, I think. And it was important, so you get that middle section where he reveals a little bit more of who he is, and ultimately he's just, you know, an everyman, isn't he? You know, yeah. a, you know anybody's, anybody can be in this situation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As finding out <laughs> at the moment. Yeah, Indeed, yeah. Far away. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned sort of before about, you know, kind of the they probably had a lot of films about kind of homelessness and the film definitely kind of sets it up as if it's the story that, about homelessness that we might have seen before, before kind of twisting into something genuinely original and, and kind of sh shocking, you know, but, but in, in, in a positive way, was it important to, to kind of, to make it in that way where you're the, not the reveal, but the kind of the, the evolution of the story kind of takes place further in than, you know, to, yeah. almost, almost to suggest the audience that this is, a familiar yeah, story. It, it, it wasn't really delivered. We had a t I had a tone in mind, really. There was a there was a film that I saw when I was a kid, actually, or kind of like years ago, kind of like um, called La Cabina, which was about a, it's a Spanish film. And it's about it's a short. It's about thirty minutes though, and it's about um, a, a guy who gets trapped in a phone. Bed. Oh yeah, yeah. I thought that's what you meant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and, it, and it was the way that everybody responded to that situation, which I thought was most horrifying. And so that's what we took, really. We thought this it wouldn't be interesting to kind of take this and have people gather around him. And this person with no agency of, uh, at all, and nobody really talks to him, they talk at him and around him. And I think that that was the really, the, the kind of like the, you know, the tone for the, 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 for the film. That there's one person who sees it and the rest of the world kind of like is acting like they're sane and he's the insane person, you know. Yeah. You, yeah. Do you think that? Do you think we live in times where it that there should be more filmmakers making work that kind of reflects these kind of issues? Um, well, I saw a tweet actually from Hope Dixon Leach recently, and she said it feels like you know uh, what we've been writing about is no longer relevant. It's all everything's been shifted, and I think that there will be a response. But I think the kind of like credit to. John and the rest of the team who kind of saw that this was an opportunity to make this anthology um, and for have, to have artists comment on the social situation that we're, we're facing, the situations that we're facing. Um, so yeah, I think there will be more people commenting on stuff like this. I mean, I'd, I'd heard before, where are the next 
Ken Loach and various other people who are making these kind of films. And I think that it's important, isn't it, that you do have this kind of film being made along with lots of other different kinds of, of filmmaking, you know. Yeah. So uh, for anybody who gives it a platform, uh, you know, I think, you know, hats off to them, really. Great. Well, yeah, I think it's a really powerful piece of work. And, uh, yeah, thanks for, thanks for making it and thanks for talking to me today. Yeah, no problem. Cheers. Cheers, Neil. What have you got planned then for... Are you self-isolated as well? We're not like self-isolating in terms of symptoms. I think it's just we're just kind of social yeah. distancing and yeah, now teaching from home. Um, our daughter's in childminder for the foreseeable, but I imagine middle of next week that might change. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're just kind of prepped to to kind of carry on at home really. So wait which and see. of the other films did you enjoy, by the way? I I'm talking to Sophie. I talked to Sophie about Swan. Um, yeah. which was bizarre and great uh, and then Alison about Camelot which was this lovely documentary uh, I'm talking oh, to Hope I, I know yeah. Hope quite well so I'm talking to her I'm talking to Iggy from Iggy London from Sucker Punch yeah. um, which is a very interesting film and then I'm talking to Antonia Campbell-Hughes tomorrow about her experimental sci-fi um, yeah. to try and get a nice spread of, uh, of stuff then I'm talking to John on Friday about the whole thing yeah so, yeah but I liked. Right. I mean, I liked. I liked a lot of the work. I was really, I was really impressed yeah, with. I'm the really quality. looking forward to seeing some stuff. You know? Yeah. Um, so I'm no doubt. I'm sure at some point we'll get a link to everything to ourselves. So. Indeed. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure they'll they'll share that out. Yeah. So. Cool. Well. Good luck. Take care. Really, really nice to talk to you. Yeah. You too. See you, man. Bye bye. Alison Hargreaves, director of the documentary Camelot. Because of the the openness of the brief, what they got offered were passion projects. You know, yeah. the brief wasn't so specific that people had to mould their ideas to suit it. You know, it just it was really open. It was just about your your particular insight on an element of life in the UK now in any form. So, yeah, and is that what made you want to contribute to it? Yeah, well, I think. Um, it felt slightly too good to be true, actually, because normally there are briefs that are more restrictive. Um, and yeah, obviously, I, I think I was impressed by how open they were being um, and how much they were empowering filmmakers to sort of deliver the film that they were desperate to make. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously, I'm interested in the kinds of films that are commenting on society and on our culture and on the things that we share and maybe are confirming the things we share or giving us a fresh perspective or a new perspective so it's it was exactly the sort of thing that I'm, I'm drawn to to be honest with you great um, and what I'm hoping is that the kind because there is so much variety that the sort of framework they've created by making an anthology with a sort of uh, under the umbrella of the Uncertain Kingdom anthology and that there's a guarantee of quality there and there's some, you know, that actually that sort of framework makes it familiar enough to people that they can sort of explore all of them, you know. Yeah, that was one of the questions I had because there's so few opportunities for short films to be kind of produced and distributed in this way. Um, it feels like 
a, a good model of how you might kind of create similar kind of work moving forward is that something that you think is or and, and hope is kind of comes out of the pro- the project i definitely hope that i think that um what i'd like to see more of personally is more variety and a platform for sort of a broader range of perspectives and a broader range of sort of representations and voices and i think that is what's important um and this kind of this kind of producing model mm. obviously will you know it's designed to give us that and they've yeah. obviously made some really um conscious choices about the kind of, of the way the anthology would look as a whole yeah, and who yeah. would be represented and i think that's really you know that is the big area which i think uh would you know that that sort of direction is that direction is is probably what i'd like to see the industry take but um as a whole um i think i like i mean it remains to be seen i think that it would be interested interesting to see how it is received how it's how what audiences think it feels it always feels like you're only halfway through before audiences have seen it you know you only you know sort of half of what you've got before people start responding so it'll be really nice to actually have it have them out in the world and have people watching them and reacting to them yeah and i think some of them are going to really make people think um you know which i mean a lot of them do but you know but but maybe kind of confronting things that they or seeing things they hadn't necessarily seen that way i think it's a really interesting slate of films was camelot something that you you sort of maybe alluded to it there that you were working on before uh, or was it something that was kind of you know that changed when the uncertain kingdom sort of came along it was something i had in my mind yeah it was something that i was actively developing um and the uh, call out for applications came along just at the time you know when i was thinking seriously about that being my next project so actually it felt like a a real sort of magical coincidence that it came along at the right time to be honest and that's not always the case but um yeah it was something that i had uh first thought up a while ago in response to a completely different brief and then had dropped for a while but had sort of stayed with me which had kind of taken me by surprise a little bit because i thought i my interest lay elsewhere but it, it sort of was gnawing at me for a while and um I decided that that was the next project I wanted to make, and then the yeah the call out came along, and it was a you know it sort of put the engine into the idea and gave me a deadline and gave me a structure and um, meant that it had to happen. Really, yeah. <laughs> I had to find all of the you know all of the resource and the partnerships and get it off the ground. It it captures your kind of interest and kind of expertise in theatre and cinema. Is that something that's common in your work or is that something that you thought would be a good way of kind of approaching this project in particular? Yeah, well, the theatre element was, um, I think, a vehicle for taking us inside the animations, the imaginations of the boys. So um, all of my work does have some um, something of a kind of combination of an imaginary or a kind of slightly elevated world versus something which looks more like a sort of a mundane reality or the everyday um and a mixture of those two things and so yeah i would say that at the moment that's a that's a common thread in my work that i combine those two things and obviously i'm i think it was 
my background is in theatre and it felt like not only theatre but devised theatre was really important. The fact that these boys were writing the, it themselves, you know, that they were empowered to... Um, they were empowered to build something new that would somehow um, reflect the way they saw the world and what their references were and what their vocabulary was. And um, so a story like King Arthur, though, it sort of has um, lots of common themes that are probably sort of um, perennially relevant. It also leaves a lot of space for reinterpretation, which is why it survived so long, I think. And so it was a... Uh, a kind of a, a template for those boys to just pour in their own, the, you know, their own ideas and their own thoughts and perspectives on the world, which is why it sort of ends up reflecting their lives. But um, I think that's why the theatre is, is, is part of it, because it, it takes us inside their heads in a way that you probably wouldn't be able to fully do otherwise. Yeah, and also allows you to kind of, yeah harness the power of the story in a in a very specific way and and remind the audience that you know the power of storytelling and how it can be repurposed and let's say reused and things like that over over centuries in the case of king arthur exactly. but yeah exactly and actually that story was um and the stories of that kind those sort of like um mythologies and repeating the that repeat the kind of masculine hero um trope and that kind of mythology is kind of plugged back into time and time again sometimes by the far right and all the rhetoric around sort of um protecting sovereign land you know defending your borders owning your kingdom you know and um so we saw some of that rhetoric in the wales leave campaign and um it felt like it's obviously like so many stories that seemingly underpin our culture, it does get repurposed according to the agendas of the person doing it. So um, I suppose it felt important to, um, to, I suppose, as an act of kind of self-determination to let those boys do the same thing, actually let those boys tell their own story and let those boys have access to an ancient story that underpins our culture and actually um, have the sort of empower them to show us their version, you know, yeah. that there isn't really one precious version of the story, you know, that actually every generation kind of needs to work out for themselves how those themes and how those lessons or those cautions or those ideas are relevant to them. Yeah, absolutely. Has it um, sparked or maybe reignited an interest in filmmaking that addresses society as it is now? You know, would you say that's a theme of your work or is it a project that's kind of enabled that? Well, I think, you know, obviously that's what I... I would hope that the Uncertain Kingdom anthologies do have that effect, obviously, that, that people, um, people want to see more and give more space to spontaneously kind of created work that is reflective of the way someone sees something, you know, um, and maybe work that is more personal and work that is maybe more um, surprising. And so that's what I would hope that people, that it, it's a kind of, uh, 
the way that it's been cleverly those stories and perspectives have been cleverly packaged i hope will give people confidence that they can trust the quality of the format that you know and actually end up exploring exploring work they wouldn't otherwise be drawn to yeah um and maybe surprising themselves about the sort of things that they enjoy and the kind of the kind of people they can relate to actually and you know i think that that's probably one of the ambitions of the of the anthology is that we um connect yeah. on those themes even if we disagree that we sort of at least start having the same conversation absolutely yeah well i think you made a really beautiful and playful film uh, which i think definitely kind of connects emotionally um and uh, yeah it's a really really great piece of work so thank you very much for talking to me today oh thank you very much thanks i appreciate that thanks for your time no worries Acrefall Between is about about a day in the future. We're constantly such flux and being bombarded with what is to come in terms of our our environment, the land that we live on. It's his fears or anticipation of what his future might hold. Antonia Campbell Hughes, director of the experimental narrative Acrefall Between. I've seen clips. And it does seem that um, maybe mine is a bit different. Uh, well, anyway, we can, yeah, it's just tonally mine seems slightly different because I just went a slightly different, more um, narrative avenue. Yeah, and I would like to talk about the the, the kind of the, the form of the film and the genre and stuff in a bit. Yeah. But I guess we'll just start with what made you want to contribute to The Uncertain Kingdom in the first place. Um, so I think I was in Yucca Valley, which is near Joshua Tree, and in April, last April, and I received a phone call, uh, no, an email first, telling me about this scheme, program, project, um, and it was very timely, and asking me, you know, if I would be willing to represent Northern Ireland, which immediately interests me, because I've got this very kind of fierce I wouldn't say it's nationalism, but just real um, love for where I come from. And that's because I was born in Derry, um, and uh, we left when I was three. And because, but then visited, my mother's Northern Irish, and visited very regularly. But there is that kind of, um, you know, expat wandering sensibility that a lot of people who have or grow up in a sort of transatlantic expat environment. They really crave homes. They have almost a more impassioned approach to where they come from. And I have a real, you know, an outside perspective on it. And so I really, really have a fierce love for this land. And so when they um, they asked me to represent, and I've been working in Northern Ireland quite a lot, and I always felt sort of underrepresented as a uh, Northern Irish national, I guess. You know, I want the people to really understand that. That's where I'm from. And um, so the opportunity to represent it uh, as the, the, so, the singular filmmaker amongst a group who make up the United Kingdom was very important to me. Great. 
And was the so this was a project that you had in mind previously, or was it something that you came up with when you were asked to contribute to the Uncertain Kingdom? Um. So no, I had. A, I've always been writing and directing, obviously. And there was a few things that I've been writing that sort of were in the same tone, or you know, there's sort of ideologies and theologies that I was very interested in. And when I got this call, it was right after Easter, and I was I was in Derry on the Easter Sunday, I think, when Lyra McKee was shot. And I was there, you know, and the streets were very unusual. Like, suddenly there was, you know, armored police vehicles around, and it was very reminiscent of a time. And I was, it was very topical in my mind, without being political in any way, just, oh, you know, it was like it was like a day from 20 years ago. And it was, I was very acutely conscious of what is to come, and so that being theme behind Uncertain Kingdom, which was projections on 2020, I just, it was very exciting to me. And so, um, but I really didn't want to make any sort of uh, political statement or judgment because that's all people ever associate Northern Ireland with. So I really wanted to make it about uh, very predominantly about the environment, the landscape, which is so unique to like County Antrim. Um, and that's something that's always been very important to me that I wanted, I, I think it's so important for the rest of the world to appreciate Northern Ireland for other things other than its political history and Game of Thrones. Yeah. Was that a reason as well for kind of leaning into the sci-fi element? Because I, I, I found your film so cinematic and as well as being something which really yeah. kind of captures the landscape, it, it kind of leans into kind of classic ecological and kind of, you know, conceptual sci-fi. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the genre and then kind of any influences you were drawing from. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so a lot of people, when I was developing it, I mean, it was sort of, um, you know, like a synopsis of something I've been working on for a long time. And um, and I just think as a, as a genre, sci-fi is much more interesting when it's nuanced and personal. You know, I've always liked slightly more low-budget sci-fi um, where it's more human. And, you know, I mean, I think most of the kind of um, lo-fi human pro films that there are have a sort of sci-fi element because our personal hopes and dreams and our fantasies and our fears are the foundation of what is sci-fi. Um, so this particularly, I had to explain it a lot because it was slightly um, atmospheric and abstract. It sort of is that it's about um, a man who is so as as the world that we're in currently and in the past number of years is where we've been so completely bombarded by what is to become of us, you know, climate change and all kinds of you know fires and and just quite um, pandemics, huge things that we're in a sort of constant state of fear and loss and you know it's like a I mean, it is like a kind of, um, you know, a fantasy sort of environment world that we're living in. So this is about one man's projection onto what he thinks will could potentially become of him. Yeah. That's the sort of sci-fi yeah. And I just wondered if... I, I watch a lot of short films, and often you can sort of tell short films that are trying to be features. And this doesn't feel like it's trying to be a feature. It's a beautifully contained short, but it also contains within it the seed of something larger. I wonder if it is something that you would consider going back to and kind of telling on a 
on a bigger scale because I think it's so ready for that kind of treatment. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, without sounding all business and callous, I mean, it is, um, the very, um, it's, it's more like, um, uh, it's, um, sorry, you can edit out my ums and ahs. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's like a tonal piece for something that, that are, it's a, a TV show I've been working on, but I do get very fixated on certain uh, themes across all the work I'm doing. Yeah. You know, you can see the thread at certain in certain years when I've been working on various things. You can see the thread of things I've been interested in. And, uh, and I think there's a very interesting human connection with the land that we come from. I mean, specifically this, in order to make it relevant to Northern Ireland and fully embracing the fact that I'm per se an outsider... So I have no right to make any grand statements. But I've always found very found very interesting about any places or countries that have been colonized and people who feel um, intrinsically part of the land, where it's very, uh, very precious to them, when they're colonized or there's a, a change in a political structure, it's like being displaced without any physical relocation. So yeah. suddenly their whole identity changes. And that's something that is very current and constant in our world or but you know it goes back to multiple generations yeah. but um that's what i think is very interesting also in science fiction is we're sort of looking broader and we're looking at um ourselves being hosted by our planet rather than us being a dominant force you know and there's a huge arrogant arrogance and greed that is intrinsic to the human race and these are all sort of things that have always been evidence in sci-fi through decades but now it's kind of it's more tangible yeah do you think that more filmmakers should be kind of making work that's thematically kind of resonant and uh, either inform all the content what i liked about your film was that you feel what it's about without being kind of directly kind of you know told. yeah so but but do you think it's <laughs> do you think do you think we're in an age where there should be more people kind of tuning into into the kind of the planet and and just general kind of societal stuff that, that should be talked about. Yeah, I mean the thing is, there's so much representation and awareness in our world of independent film, specifically and television at the moment. You know, there's so much talk about diversity, and you know, people are, uh, have less opportunity, like socially sort of um, marginalized. I hate that word, but you know, like um, yeah. and um. And there's been great moves towards that. I mean, even women in film is the most basic, you know, trying to um, 50-50 parity spend from government bodies, Queen Ireland, EFI, da, da, da. Um, But, uh, and I think that has been a great change and so much independent film is being, is very much focused on um, our social structures and all these themes. But as well, I'm quite interested in doing, in making films that are, but also entertainment without... So there is a kind of more heightened element to it, like is in my shorts, um, so that you... It's a, it's a feeling rather than... It, it, it comes from your gut and your, your body rather than from your head. Yeah. Well, I think you've definitely captured that in the, in the short. I think it's a really gripping piece of work. Um, the, the Uncertain Kingdom feels like uh, a good model for short films because it's kind of rare that 
you see short films produced and collated and then kind of distributed like this. I wondered if yeah. you know if you thought it it's been a kind of positive experience in terms of promoting the short film and and kind of showing people how you could potentially do something on a bigger scale with shorts. Yeah. Um I thought to be honest, I think that the team behind Uncertain Kingdom are quite ingenious because when they first pitched it to me or told me what they were going to be doing um, I thought why not, it's great you know, they're they're approaching really good filmmakers and there's quite a, a lovely mix and so what's to lose but what they've actually managed to do in terms of um, it having a common theme it being so current that's also really good because it really engages the imagination of uh, a very wide audience. I think that's why there's so much um, what people are so open to receive it, you know, in terms of cinemas and um, online audiences and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I saw, I was wondering about this because I remember I used to watch like the film for shorts. You could get them. They would have DVD releases, you know, they send them out and they were compiled. So that was more like a funding scheme and they'd have them all compiled that way. So there's often shorts will be showed, I'm not sure if they're cinema released, but they would be uh, released annually in terms of who they financed. Yeah. Yeah. So, but um, I don't know how wide an audience that reaches. Indeed, yeah. Uh, but, yeah. But this, I mean, this is just, it just seems a very clever, economical way to use a low budget that would normally go to, you know, a low budget film that would not necessarily get any kind of traction and to, to give multiple people a voice and a platform yeah well i'm really pleased that you uh, accepted the invitation because i think it's a it's a really wonderful film thank and you. and thank you very much Sorry for to talking you. to me this morning yeah no worries thank you have a good day okay take care bye so thanks again to everyone who gave up their time to talk to me about their films for this episode. And yeah, Dario, what did you make of all of that and where do you wanna where do you wanna kick off? So I think really just kind of starting with John at the beginning and, and you know the the concept behind the project. I mean it's interesting he talked about concept and I think he's right in sort of talking about that idea of shorts as being concept driven. And again it's we talked about this a little bit beforehand, the idea of what is a short film for a student and sometimes that cramming in of narrative and journey, it, it isn't really sort of aligned to what a short film can can do. And I think that short films do live and die by the by their concept. And I think he's, he, he's right in that. And the other thing I, I think that's key, I think, to this selection is the idea of having something to say without being didactic. I know you, you talked a lot about that. And it's, it's quite a difficult balance to strike I think, um, because at the end of the day, it's a film. So are, are people going to watch it? And I mean, I, I, <laughs> I'm somebody who does who, who can let didacticism pass a little bit. I'm, I'm fine with that. But do you know what I mean? I think if, if you're just coming to something, being being sort of shouted at, this is what you should think is is obviously if you look at you know I think a lot of uh, different contexts politically, people. I mean, I think it's clear that one of the things that that people don't react well to is being shouted at that they're wrong. Um, but yeah, just reiterating that idea of, of that the talent is out there, but the visibility seems to be a problem and how can shorts break out? Um, and he, he said something that I think that I think a lot of people kind of in, intuitively know that 
that Britain doesn't really have a sort of self-reflexive cinema culture in the, in the same way that, say, France does or the United States, where I think that that Britain is much more TV orientated culturally. And, you know, I, I, I think it, 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 it's a historical thing. I think it's um, because of the way that the, that the film industry is set up in the UK. And I think that we are, you know, we see it as an industry where, where our, our talents are sort of a, 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 a attachment to, to Hollywood and the way that it's set up like that. I don't think it's seen as a kind of, a kind of a cultural measure of what Britishness is. So it's nice to see that this group of films is actually trying to to, to sort of deal with that and the way that, that John set up the the projects as a whole to try and engage with those questions. And, you know, obviously with 1,147 entries, which is a lot, then then people took up that that idea. There is a thirst for that sense of of, of, of British cinema and what, what can that add to a conversation? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I think that, you know, having sort of done film stock uh, last year and then obviously for, for sort of 10 years back in the early 2000s it was it was always clear that independently there has always been a thirst to use short films and kind of do do just that you know create a kind of cinematic culture around the form um but again it's always been the outlets for that work and how so many of the festivals lean towards the narrative industry and particularly hollywood you know and a lot of because it's again it's quite a small country a lot of the oxygen of shorts is taken up by a few festivals you know encounters aesthetica uh london short film festival which all really good and have their merits but kind of take up a lot of the 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 minimal cultural space for talking about shorts and you know i think like you say because the industry is so entwined with kind of serving hollywood and kind of international production and you know tv which has always been the traditional training ground for features um historically rather than shorts it's shorts have struggled to get a foothold um and you know what what's great that what, what john and his other producers did was kind of see a gap for an for a project you know that was driven by a desire to kind of explore something and you know all the shorts that they've been able to make you know arguably kind of full get get to the heart of what that project is trying to do in terms of like you said before, but being inclusive and diverse in the in the positive sense of the word, um, rather than you know putting it into one film, which you know could never have done that, or even an event which called for films that had already been made. There's something really interesting about the fact that there's three producers who've overseen this whole project and have have kind of marshaled those films into being. And what was really positive to hear from all of them was how the filmmakers were trusted to do that. You know, I think it's it's a kind of testament to John and the others that they they kind of had a hands off approach to the production once things were going, um, sort of trusting the process um, and that the the body of work would kind of would stand for itself, which is which is really exciting. So maybe we can talk about um, Swan and Sucker Punch first, because obviously you've done the interviews, but unfortunately with the the, the file issue. But yeah, but um, interesting. Like Swan, I thought really called to that that wing of British filmmaking or even tv that that relates to british surrealism and eccentricity yeah i thought i mean it's really funny to sort of see mark addy in there who kind of does mark addy and everything he's in you know what i mean but he plays that <laughs> role really well and i thought it was going to you know it, it starts as some as, as one thing and ends up into something else and i thought there was a real sort of you know obviously there was a sort of lanthimos tip in there i don't know whether that that, that was a you know a, um a reference specifically but but you know kind of funny and I, I really liked the wife's reactions and it was just that sense of 
British domesticity is more about what's not said and the gestures and the eye rolls between between partners. I thought that was that was really funny, and yeah, the Iggy, Iggy London one, um, sucker punch, you know, very very much playing the audience off against its own its own sense of what it already knows about the problems with media, kind of Black Swan esque, and you know, even at the very end was like a, a second. A, a sort of second move, as it were, towards yeah. I mean, it's quite bleak, really, because it was like there's nothing that's not that's not an angle that's not already commercialized. Everything's commercialized. There's no outside of that. So yeah, pretty really nice couple of shorts there. I thought. Yeah, it's interesting what you say about Swan because I had a similar kind of response. To that kind of yeah, like 1960s Richard Lester kind of you know Python era, you know, almost like you could imagine a Python sketch. Um, along the same yeah. lines but but that relationship between the husband and wife um kind of reminded me it's similar in a similar way to like to what sucker punch does which is yeah kind of the interior complexities of these things you know like so brexit for example is obviously the big metaphor in swan um but within the marriage you know and how that's kind of changed over time and how even within yeah. those two people who are seemingly compatible but you know in a kind of generic sense how behavior can shift and suddenly what someone thought was one thing it becomes something else and it's really yeah the performances are really superb and yeah i think that the the bleakness of sucker punch kind of took me by surprise um you know but but very much like you say in line with the kind of the black mirror you know kind of hopelessness of this is just the way things are now you know um and then even kind of watching it now and seeing the kind of the media coverage of, of what's going on um, and still the fake news and the kind of the lack of clarity and misinformation and, you know, what how people are responding to it online is just like, yeah, we are we are kind of deeply in this thing. Um, but again, it was such a short, short, you know, it kind of it managed to pack so much in in a few minutes because, again, the concept and for both the concept for both of those was, was really, really strong. Um, so, yeah, apologies again uh, to Iggy and Sophie that their their chats didn't come out, but it was... It was great to talk to them about their work and uh, yeah, well worth checking out their movies. Yeah, and I think that the for, with the rest of the, the films, there, there were two that really, really stood out for me. I think Stromer's, again, you know, maybe maybe bias creeping in there, but Sauna, I thought, was just... It almost reminded me of the style of documentary that we're seeing a little bit more of now, which is much more owing a debt, I think, to observational documentary from back in the 60s, where it's just kind of like trying to... To, to, to be removed from the action and just let it take place. I mean, Maidan is another example, I think, that's the, the sort of, you know, extreme example of this. And it's an insight I, I don't think you would ordinarily get, but, you know, it really interesting in terms of the sauna as a, as a space, you know, and, and people in their kind of swimming costume having conversations in the sauna. It's a really odd kind of um, environment, I think, just generally as a, a place where you're, you're kind of, stripped bare for want of a better word to, to your you know physically but then you know people do sort of strike up conversations weirdly enough in saunas for some reason um and what I, I thought was great about that was i think that the participants were just unselfconscious and that that sort of interrogation with with not just what they were saying but the idea of sort of bodies interacting um and they did the stories didn't have a predetermined context which again is i think a thing that we're seeing more and more now with documentary where it's leaving the the viewer to, to to have to do some work to make to orient themselves to what is going on. 
it's great to sort of listen to Strom as somebody who is, you know, when when you sort of have students go through the process, they're students, but then somebody comes out on the other end, and you can tell there's a sort of maturity of understanding around process and and what she's actually trying to show, which is really sort of gratifying. Yeah, it's definitely gratifying as a teacher, um, but not taking credit for it, but kind of seeing that seeing that kind of progress. And it is a really confident film, and you know, it's kind of it's it's complex, like you say, in terms of what the context of what you're seeing, you know, which looks so simple, but but it's kind of it's full of intricacies, you know, that a reminder of the role that space and place playing community in in kind of breaking down the signifiers that have become so common in terms of what we're looking for you know in in order to pre-agree with people um you know and like you say when there's when there's just two people in their underwear in a uh, in a sauna there's none of those signifiers you know and it captures really well these kind of spaces that are so integral to communities understanding each other and having a space for communication and, and, and discourse and conversation you know that's real in, in in real time and uh in a kind of real space rather than you know online where there's so many different kind of barriers and signifiers and her instincts as a filmmaker i think are really really strong and it, it really comes across in that short where she kind of knows where to put the camera and how to how to get people to talk and share and be comfortable which i think as a documentary filmmaker is it's kind of hard to do and I think she does it really well. And what was the other one? Yeah, the other one I really liked was Antonia Campbell uses um, Acre for Between, which I, th- I just thought was great. It, it, you know, had something of a, a 28 Days Later feel, but, you know, with a bit of Tarkovsky thrown in. And and also, you know, it, it, it definitely had, of all the films, I think it had a real cinematic aesthetic, which, you know, I think some of them could have been sort of TV spots, I think, as much as anything else. And, and you know, everything about it was great. Great sound, very immersive. The the idea, the concept as well made you work. It was subtle. Um, I had to watch it twice to sort of get my head around whether I'd, I'd understood what was going on. And it, I think Antonio sort of talks about the tone of the piece. And I think that's really, really important. And the, the just the, re- the the representation or the way that you're immersed into the landscape and the sort of illusions that you can make towards um, environmentalism and and you know it's almost kind of like an existential crisis of a guy w- waking up. I mean, it's quite it's quite a well worn idea, you know, that you wake up and you're the last person on earth. You know, there's there's loads of films that have been made with that sort of concept, but the way it plays with the abstract nature and the, and the metaphor and and uh, I think Antonio talks really well about about those ideas and, and trying to sort of work with those themes, but only only portray them through the aesthetic and not not really tell you anything about about it. And then you're kind of like, oh wow. I mean, and I think you were right in saying, you know, this is this is sort of ripe for a for an expansion. I think it was so good. Yeah. Uh I love that short as well. And uh, yeah, I think a reminder of the the potential of of cinema but you know but certainly kind of short cinema in terms of like being elemental and stripping it down to a concept and a really strong kind of grasp of the form and the filmmaking um which you just feel in this film that you it's a there's just there's a feeling to it and a tone and an atmosphere which is just really kind of profound and kind of enveloping which is kind of rare you know it's still rare to see films which feel so 
assured and accomplished in their kind of cinematic art, you know, where a filmmaker is, they've all had the same limitations um, and they've all chosen to kind of do different things with them. And this is one where it's really honed in on, on a kind of cinematic experience. And that was really, really exciting. And yeah, I was really, it was really great to talk to her. Um, uh, that That's a filmmaker that I'm really interested in seeing where she goes and been following her career since she was the lead in Kieran Evans, Kelly and Victor. And uh, yeah, just a really, really exciting film. Um, and kind of, yeah, really great to talk to her. Yeah, awesome. Um, and the, the, the other one I kind of really liked out of, the, out of this batch was um, was Left Coast. And again, a sort of a similar thing, I think, to to Sauna in terms of this sort of I, there's something to be written on this kind of wave of really, really observational, you know, um, di- documentaries where the director is trying not to intervene. There's some, there seems to be something around that right now where almost sort of an antithesis to the Michael Moore. I'm going to put my myself in the middle of the of the situation. No, it's kind of like the situation is there. And I think maybe it's a recognition of the fact that filmmakers are recognizing that at, just simply as a filmmaker, you have a, a, a you know, a, a level of privilege that is automatically um, uneven, you know what I mean? Or disassociated from the subject that you're actually recording. And there seems to be an acknowledgement with of that in the actual aesthetic, which is really, really interesting and i think it, it sort of reminded me it's set in blackpool and it reminded me of my kind of grandparents generation mm. and uh yeah the use of the radio as a soundtrack i thought was really interesting remind me that reminded me a little bit of bait um to be honest but yeah the, the sort of focus on the food bank it, interesting i thought about that was the and again that that the change in britishness and that notion of british community whereas british community would have been structured around the pub or the working men's club or you know, even the football team, but now the 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 place where community kind of collectivizes is the food bank, mm. and that tells yeah. you a lot about where where Britain is right now. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Um, yeah, that's that's fascinating to think about, and 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 again, it's it kind of just through, like you say, kind of taking that as the story and kind of kind of brings other things to light, including you know. The, the regional versus the national conversation, you know, and, and, and what what's going on in that community on a kind of on a local political level is is not bound to kind of party politics. Um and in the same way that the, the idea of it is, you know, oh well if it's food banks it's people on the left. And the film doesn't feel like it's traditionally just, you know, liberal people, you know, that it, it's about that community dealing with the problems in that community and it's it's kind of it's a it's a really lovely film i think she's a she's a great filmmaker i don't know if you've seen almost heaven the uh the the feature she made about the the chinese funeral parlor and the young girl it's just a yeah a really great um she's a really great filmmaker and yeah likes stroma and that film yeah they do feel like a return to a more kind of distanced you know observational approach rather than like you say a kind of uh kind of explicit politically driven kind of subject, subjective intervention in the film yeah. which is which is great um it was really nice i think what's interesting as well is uh, alison hargreaves camelot kind of is 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 kind of one foot in that camp and one foot out of that camp you know that kind of takes a lot of the different kind of things that have, that have emerged in kind of documentary filmmaking around reconstruction and um dramatization and kind of playing around with form to to 
to kind of heighten the experience of the locals. It's it's it kind of because it's kind of rooted in ideas of mythology and kind of histories of place. It's kind of it's less politically charged in a kind of immediate sense than than something like the food bank is. But uh, you know, it, it it does contain elements of that of kind of trying to trying to retain a distance in terms of representing a place as fairly as you can when you are an intervening filmmaker um, as possible as that can ever be I think the way you just described it in terms of left coast is really well put in terms of what what's in inherent in in kind of that that activity but but also and again one of the the achievements of Camelot is knowing the restrictions of the project is kind of working with young people in a community and being able to draw out something which doesn't feel tokenistic and doesn't feel exploitative and doesn't feel like a gimmick you know in terms of working with sort of young children in recreating uh kind of uh myth, myths and legends and, and also kind of trying to embed that in a in the real history of the place i think is is again kind of hard to do and that's that was exciting as well about this project like you say you start to see filmmakers at different periods of their career established and establishing really kind of working in in kind of exciting and interesting ways that 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 just kind of bodes well for the the form and also gets you excited about what they're next going to do, um, be that kind of more shorts or, or kind of feature films. Yeah, and the, the the last one I saw was was pavement, which I liked the concept a lot, and I thought the execution of of um, the sort of use of special effects of this homeless person kind of sinking in the pavement was a really effect effective visual, and I think it really captured that idea of um, you know the 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 feeling that we all have when you know we walk past that sort of we walk past homeless people in the street there's a sort of feeling of ambivalence that we have to admit to on the one hand you know you feel empathetic you feel sympathy you want to help but it's like you know what you you, you tell yourself oh what can i actually do you know what i mean and then if you've got some change maybe you give some change if you don't you're like oh i haven't got any change and there's sort of all conflicted feelings in that maybe maybe if, if my my more criticism and it's not even a criticism it's just a sort of personal thing it felt it felt a little bit on the nose for me at the end with that the use of jerusalem the music i was just like yeah i get i get that you know i, I got it before you you added that music but yeah no another interesting concept i think you know in terms of what we were talking about earlier yeah no that was the film that surprised me the most uh when it started i kind of yeah almost like the characters in the film kind of like could feel myself going oh you know like here's another kind of story about homelessness um and then i what's really what was really surprising was how how kind of yeah laser focused it was on its concept and its kind of direct visual representation of that feeling that i was carrying when i was started watching it and that is inherent in so many people um and yeah it just it does something really simply really powerfully and it would not it would not work as a feature you know i i had the same thing about jerusalem i i i i did feel like you know it, i could really have done without that um <laughs> but but by that point i was like okay yeah this i um it it's worked it's worked on me you know like i i i it made me stop and check and think and realize my kind of which i think is i which what i like about shorts when they can do that is is kind of flip your your perspective in such a short amount of time and and just by kind of being really really direct and it is on the nose but intentionally yeah do you know what i mean it's it's something where it it's it, it is a concept that it's kind of it's showing something 
and for what you know for what they managed to do in terms of the VFX with the budgets and the time, I think it was really impressive. And it was it was he says it as well. It, it was good enough to get that across. Um, and yeah, that, that's why I wanted to talk to him because it was it was a film that I was surprised by the, at the end compared to how I thought of the start in terms of in terms of what I what I thought of it. Um, and yeah, just it, that there's no way that could be a feature. That could only ever be a short, um, which again was 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 kind of was another kind of thing that made me think about this project as something which is really valuable as a space for for ideas that need to be told in that way great so uh that's all the all the films discussed there uh neil where can people see this work so the films go live on june the 1st and they're in a variety of different places all 20 shorts from the 20 directors will be released on the 1st of june and it'll be available on the BFI player, programmed in two feature-length volumes. Uh, and those volumes will also be available on iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, Curzon Home Cinema. And the British Council are releasing the films internationally. So hopefully you get your film fixed from one of those places and uh, we'll be able to kind of check them out. And if not, um, then get on it, because uh, particularly kind of Curzon and BFI player have a lot to uh, a lot of good stuff so that's where you'll be able to find them and includes yeah all the films including left coast which we which we also talked about which is the the carol salter film uh, and our friend of the podcast hope dixon leach um is one of the filmmakers as well uh made a really interesting kind of quasi narrative um documentary uh called um, strong is better than angry uh, which is a really interesting piece of work. So you can find them uh, in all those places, and we'll put the links up on the show notes as well, so you can you can find out where they are. Great. So just before we go, then a, a couple of couple of extra things. Um, I just wanted to say it was really really sad to hear the news of uh, Lynn Shelton passing away. I mean, you know, there's obviously people passing in the film industry that we admire a, a lot, but you had actual direct dealings with her, and and you know. As, as both of us listened to Mark Maron's podcast, it was, uh, you know, th- th- there was a sort of sense of, uh, you know, I know the, the context of this person to some degree and, and uh, you know, her films were of of a piece and it's one of those filmmakers, again, who should have been more widely known than, than she was, a real, real tragedy. Yeah, uh, genuinely heartbreaking, really. Um, so, yeah, I woke up on Sunday morning and, to a load of messages and just kind of utter disbelief um and just real really really sad that uh that that she died um and a filmmaker that not only should be more widely known but who was in the last couple of features really really kind of stretching out and doing really interesting things you know her last two features outside in and uh sort of trust are so different in terms of the tone and scope and sort of ambition uh tonally from from her earlier work that it was just really exciting you know she was doing great work in tv and then yeah it was was, it's just it's just so tragic um and i yeah i did i i knew her a little bit i interviewed her for the may journal in february last year and weirdly that that interview um came out a year tomorrow um you know because some people asked me for the link and when I went back in to get it, it was saw it was it came out pretty much a year to the day, and I I spent you know a few hours talking to her for that, and it was just really it was just a really great conversation. She was just genuine and inspiring, and just really a really nice person who 
kind of, and I sort of mentioned this in the piece that I wrote, which is she was confident in her ability, you know, and that she knew what she was doing and she knew the trajectory was she was on and she fought to make the work that she believed in and, you know, used all of the all of the opportunities and resources that were available at any given time to make work that was interesting and dynamic and uh, kind of about something, about human connection and about relationships. You know, I think she, I think she's a massively underrated filmmaker and it was a real privilege to be able to talk to her and and and, and rewarding in the sense that she she felt seen, you know, and I know that sounds kind of grandiose, but I don't think anyone had, had described her as a noteur or seen the connections in her work that explicitly. And that was... That was nice, and that kind of just puts into a into a good kind of you know sort of friendly relationship in terms of you know sort of email, and then at film stock when we were looking for a closing film, I reached out and asked her uh, if we could show have the UK premiere of Sword of Trust, and she was like yes definitely, and I sort of said oh you know we're a tiny little festival in Luton, and you know I understand you've got you probably got an ambition for it. She was like no you want to screen it you, you know I really want you to screen it, so she kind of helped facilitate the screening of it and every kind of interaction I had with her was was just nice and friendly and kind of inspiring in the sense that this is an independent filmmaker in the in the truest sense of the term um and it is a huge it's a huge loss because yeah she was she was she was great and and kind of just at that point where you know she was she was starting to really really do the work that that she kind of always promised in terms of scope and ambition which it I don't want to say that to diminish her 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 early work, which is amazing. And also, it has to be noted, she made her first feature at 39 in 2006. And look at that body of work in 14 years. And it's kind of astonishing if you look at all of her TV work as well. You know, Mad Men, Master of None, Glow, uh, The Good Place. Like, she was she was an astonishingly good and prolific filmmaker. And it's an absolute, absolute tragedy. Um, yeah. And it's going to take a while, I think, for for people to, to, to get over this one. And a note on the the Mark Maron podcast if you haven't heard it it's hard it's hard to listen to um but uh just yeah just just beautiful you know that someone uh someone just just you just you know you can just you just feel the love and the heartbreak in, in it and uh yeah a, a kind of just one of those moments where your heart goes out to to him uh, and what he's lost and how he could kind of voice just that feeling of loss that, that so many people have now yeah yeah there's echo all of that um but not to end on on too sad a note though we've got a, a nice anniversary to to congratulate the uh, raising films team yep happy birthday to raising films uh five years of fighting the good fight uh talk about <laughs> yeah kind of uh fighting to claim a space and and kind of do important work uh they are an organization that i've had several dealings with um and we obviously know hope dixon leach very well um who's one of the kind of the, the driving forces of the, the Raising Films project, which is an organisation which supports parents and carers in the film industry and fights for parents and carers to be recognised in terms of the, the in terms of support for for what they do and the ability to make and work in the film industry. Um, it's a brilliant organisation and one well worth checking out and supporting. And yeah, five, five good years and excited about what's to come. So uh, well done. Yep, congratulations to, to Hope and the team. Um, that will just about do it for us. Uh, thanks very much, Neil, for your work on this podcast. A lot of work went went into this one. I hope that the uh, the filmmakers enjoy our discussion of their of their films. Yeah, uh, thanks, man. It was yeah, really fun. Real pleasure to spend some time talking about shorts. Um, yeah, 
I really enjoyed you talking about them as well. Some really, really nice insight and in that in that in that tape. So hopefully, yeah, they'll they'll be pleased with with what we've covered and hope people check the films out because there's a really really great uh, bunch of films in there. Great. Um, and we have coming up. We have a, t- at least two or three more episodes coming up before we go on our summer break. Um, we've also got the next newsletter coming out very soon. Who knows? We may even do a another video for the uh, Patreon subscribers because that seemed to go down well, believe it or not. Uh, I don't know what you feel about that, Neil. Yeah, well, if the fans are clamoring for it, who are we to deny, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, I'm up for that. Um, it was fun. and uh, It's all about yeah. satisfying the public. Absolutely. We are nothing if not shills for our paying public. Um, but no, uh, looking forward to kind of, yeah, exploring more of the, the kind of different things we can do on the bonus for our Patreon subscribers. And, and, and thanks everyone who's who signed up there. Uh, yeah, another couple of interview episodes coming up, which is very exciting. And yeah, looking forward to sort of seeing people's response to this episode and those ones. Uh, thank you. Thank you, as always, Dario, for your time here. Thanks very much. And thank you to our listeners and to our Patreon subscribers. If you want to get any of our bonus content, it is for the premium price of just $2.50 a month. So um, if you want to help us just with our running costs, uh, we would really appreciate it. So this again has been the Cinematologist Podcast. Thanks for listening. Staring with blood